0: When I was a kid, my parents used to fight a lot and I mostly felt like a burden to them. I grew up trying to avoid attention because attention was usually negative. If I was getting attention, it was usually that I did something wrong. I was an extreme introvert and usually wouldn't talk to anyone unless they asked me a question or talked to me first. My first real sport was swimming. I would just show up, do all the laps the coach told us to do, and then leave. There was very little socializing involved, and I was fine with that. When I was 14, I discovered running when my dad told me I could join a running team he had seen running around some local soccer fields. Running ended up being quite a bit more social since you didn't have to hold your breath while you ran. And I felt like everyone on the team was easy to get to know, unlike my experience in regular life. In today's episode, we get to speak with someone else who identifies as an extreme introvert and also found friendship through running, although much later in life, proving that it is never too late to find happiness in movement. welcome to the Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review running books to help you decide if you would like to read the book for yourself. We also hope that listening to us chat about running can help keep you motivated about your own running or maybe inspire you to try something new. My name is Liz, and with my co-host, Alan, we're going to talk with author Anita Sweeney about her book, Depression Hates a Moving Target.
1: Depression Hates a Moving Target is about author Nita Sweeney's experience with crippling anxiety and depression and how she got into running despite often not being able to get out of bed before taking up the sport. Nita was inspired by some posts from her Facebook friends who got into jogging by following a run-walk plan and one day took the kitchen timer out and her dog Morgan out to try it for herself. Nita's mind was not her only challenge to overcome. She also had an ankle that would swell when she ran too much, which made made her doubt that she was even built for running. By dedicating a lot of time and energy to find solutions that helped her keep running, doctor's appointments, physio exercises, shoes, running form classes, constantly thinking about running form cues, she was able to slowly increase mileage over time, enabling her to train for a first half marathon, and later, even her first marathon. So let me tell you a little bit about Nita. Maybe she can tell us a little bit more about herself uh, and your course. Nita has a law degree. And when I researched, I found out that she also has a journalism degree as well. We seem to speak to a lot of journalists on our our podcast and a master's in creative writing. She's officially the author of, I was going to say two books, but three books now, because she just brought out another book, which I believe is on meditation. And my notes here tell me that she's actually written 11 books, but many of them haven't been published yet. So we've got a back catalog to catch up on in due course. Um, She started running with her dog in 2010, while also dealing with crippling depression that kept her in bed for most hours of most days. Nita didn't identify at all with the title of athlete at the time that she started running and intentionally ran in locations and times of the day where she thought the least amount of people might see her. Since then, Nita has run many training miles, one ultramarathon, three marathons, 29 half marathons, and over 100 short races. So we'd just like to welcome you to the show, Nita.
2: Thank you, Alan and Liz. It's really good to, to be here. And uh, I'm just so grateful when people read the book and when, they, you know, when it resonates with them, I'm always a little happy sad because it means that not only do people love running, but they may have had some dark times because the people who haven't had dark times don't always get it. Um, So I, I just was so grateful that you guys wanted, you know, to read the book and to uh, have me on the show. Thank you.
1: Good stuff. So the first question we always throw to our um, guests is what prompted you to decide to write this book?
2: Well, I'm always writing. I've been sort of writing most of my life and As you mentioned, I have a lot of books in the drawer. So I'm always looking for the one that's going to hit the one that's going to hit is this one going to work. And I had been working on a book about the last year, my father was alive, which coincided with my having left the practice of law and just basically staring out the window a lot because I didn't know what to do with myself. And he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and all he wanted to do is play golf. And so we played golf that summer. So I was trying to Pitched that book and getting nowhere. And then I had this year where all these people died. I mean, I just it just was a horrible year. And on the uh, kind of on the, the tail end of that, I sunk into the worst depression I'd had in a long, long time. And um, I think you mentioned how I started running. And I'm always writing about everything. So when I did start running, I was writing about running because that's what I just write about, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm seeing, whatever I'm thinking. And after a while, because I didn't tell anybody for a while, but after a while, I started thinking, especially once I got a self, less self-conscious about the running, that maybe a story about a middle-aged woman who takes up running and kind of gets over herself a little bit was an interesting story. And then the longer I worked on it, and especially once I got into the editing process, I realized that the real story was the mental health part. It was not just middle-aged woman tries to run marathon, but middle-aged woman tries to save her life. And that's the thread that I hope comes through. I mean, it's definitely a running book. It's definitely kind of a training plan, but that mental health thread made it a little bit different from most of the other books that I had read about running. And so I just kept writing and working on it and working on it. And then the more I talked to people, the more they were interested in that. And then eventually I was able to get a contract. So it's it's kind of funny because that, that question is, the answer to that question is because somebody bought it. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how, the, how it works with these things. And uh, a lot of times you actually write the proposal before you write the book in the publishing industry with nonfiction at least. So I had written the book, but it was revised after I'd written it. And, you know, so it's a lot of back and forth, six months of back and forth. But yeah, it's, it's just kind of what I do.
1: Your comment about, um, you know, a woman tries to save her life and the book kind of comes from that premise. For me, it hits home really, really, really hard and quickly because you open the book and the first words on the first chapter are, my mind was trying to kill me again. So if you think you're here to read just about a bit of running, you know, it's a little bit more than that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, a, it's very interesting. I I worked on that opening section. I I can't even tell you, I, I, there must have been 100 rewrites of that opening section, because it was so important, because I wanted to get the tone right away. So if somebody opened that book, they would know they were, yeah, I have a sense of humor, but they weren't up they weren't in for a light-hearted romp hmm. you know? mm-hmm. i mean i can look back and laugh on some of it now i mean yeah. some of the things that i was afraid of really are ridiculous but they, that's where i was and uh so yeah so thank you for noticing that and again that's why i'm always happy sad because it's i'm happy that i wrote a book that people want to read but i'm also sad that they want to read it because that usually means they've had a similar experience which is tough
0: yeah I think like, so the first thing maybe we should ask is um, because like the, in the book, you do, um, you do mention depression a lot because it seems like depression was your main struggle, but you actually say that you were bipolar. Um, so maybe we should just start by uh, you explaining like, what's, what's the difference for somebody that might not know the difference and, and how did you end up getting diagnosed? Like, so how did you end up knowing that? You were bipolar because I know in mental health, a lot of times the diagnosis can be like many years and, and you know, very complicated.
2: Yeah, that's really a good question, Liz, because I was diagnosed as chronic, um, I think it was called chronic depression recurrent severe for many, many years because that's how I presented. And I am bipolar too. So the mood swings are much more rapid as opposed to somebody being manic for you know having the extreme high energy, high mood for months, mine will flip within the day. And sometimes that happens with the bipolar one too, but, but mine's a little bit different. And I just had depression as the main thing I struggled with. And anytime I was what I now believe um, might've been hypomanic, I almost looked normal because I was so depressed that anytime my mood lifted, I was actually able to get out of bed and do some basic things that I couldn't do when I was so chronically depressed, but it wasn't until I was in my psychiatrist's office. I want to say it might've been 2005, 2006, so probably 20 years after I was originally diagnosed. And I was talking to her about an early experience many, many years before, excuse me, where I had gone on a trip to buy clothes when I was a lawyer and maxed out my credit cards. And I just had never, it hadn't come up and nothing like that had happened that I really know. And so she started asking me more questions. And then she started asking me about us when we went, what happened when we moved to New Mexico, because we lived in New Mexico for three years. And I realized now, while I don't regret that at all. I was probably hypomanic or I could never have pulled that off because we had to pack up the house and sell everything and buy a new house. I mean, it was it's very stressful time but I had really high energy until I got to New Mexico, and then I crashed. So depression is a diagnosis, but it's also a symptom. So sometimes they call what I have bipolar depression because there's the bipolar means there's sort of two extremes. There's the depression and the mania, and that's actually a spectrum. So there's severe you know, suicidal ideation, depression, and then there's mania, which is at the top of the energy level. And hypomania is more what I get, which is a little bit less extreme, but it still can be very dangerous, especially because you can have what they call a mixed state where you're depressed and hypomanic. So your mood is really, really bad, but you have energy. And that's actually the most dangerous place. That's the place that most people who are bipolar um, if, if they do end their life, that's what happens is because their mood is so low, but they have an energy to act out these suicidal thoughts. So um, she hadn't seen me in that place. She just, uh, my psychiatrist hadn't seen me in that place. And, and uh, so that's how I was diagnosed and uh, people often are diagnosed. Now, the other piece of all this is I do have extreme anxiety, which is almost the flip side of depression, but it happens sometimes when I'm hypomanic because my mood lifts, but then it can sort of shoot. It's like it it misses the mark and it goes to this extreme place. I also think that my worst cases of anxiety may have been related to um, hormone changes and also uh, possibly some diet, extreme dieting, things I was doing when I was, because I had it really, really bad when I was in my 20s and then again in my 40s those were the two worst mm-hmm. times so that's for women especially those are, are uh, some big hormonal changes and in my 20s i was just restrictive eating like crazy just trying to you know be twiggy or whatever the thinnest person i could be at the time so uh, so yeah but that's a, it's good because it's a good question because i think it's very confusing to people and it's most important that you and your therapist know these words mm-hmm just being honest about your symptoms and letting um, a good psychiatrist, a good therapist, or or, uh, your support team know when you're struggling matters actually more than putting yourself in a box um, in terms of a a category. For me, finding out I was bipolar was actually very freeing because it made so many things make sense that just Mm -hmm. didn't make sense before. And because I would say, okay, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, and then I'm not. How can I recreate that? What, what can I do to make that, you know, what did I do? Well, I didn't do anything. My brain chemistry just was doing its thing. So
1: just on the upswing of a cycle, I guess.
2: Right. And, and that helped with the shame because I kept thinking I could, I could just work harder and the depression would go away or Mm -hmm. I could, you know, I felt like I had to take advantage of these tiny windows of energy. And, um, it was very, I mean shame was the biggest thing, just thinking that somehow I could control this.
1: It kind of puts uh, sort of puts the the running thing into into its real context because people who start running find it difficult, full stop. So it it leads me to ask sort of, how did you get into running and how did you make it stick because it's quite a commitment?
0: Mm-hmm. And also, um, maybe you can just um, tell our listeners, Like, what was your state of mind when you started running? Because I don't think you were hypomanic when you started running. You were very much depressed because, you know, you weren't even getting out of bed.
2: It was a really rough time. And my apologies to all the runners. I am one now. But running seemed like a last ditch effort. It seemed like, well, I haven't tried this. I mean, I just was, I (laughs) was having, (laughs) I mean, I was having suicidal ideation. I'll just say this is in the book, but. Uh, no, no, please. Sh- shouldn't Let's... laugh,
1: but it really sounds like it's the last, the last throw of the dice of a desperate person.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I can laugh about it now. At the time, it wasn't. I do have a very um, kind of dark sense of humor about all of it, and I always have, which is part of how I get through. But what happened was, I was in this horrible grief place. I was a, about as depressed as I've ever been. I was having suicidal thoughts. I had, I had been so close to taking my life years before. And so there was part of me that knew that was not the answer. I had lots of help, but I was still thinking, why am I here? Um, everyone would be better off without me, all those kinds of things. This is, and mostly just, I can't take this anymore. It was, It's physically painful. So I'm sitting on the sofa and I read this post from a high school friend. And the high school friend part is really important because she's about my age At the time, uh, she was about the same size as I was. I'm smaller now than I was then. But, you know, so she was not a small person, not a young person. I was 49, Mm -hmm. I think. And she wrote, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) So, But I was paying attention. You know, she's a friend. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm cheering her on. And she was doing this interval training program. And so I watched for really a couple months. And then the depression got worse. There may have been bond bonds involved, you know. I mean, I was just, I just was kind kind of at the end of not. A, I was on medication, going to therapy. I've been a meditator for many years. I'm doing writing, you know. I'm, I've got all the tools. I have a support community. I'm married to this wonderful guy. All the stuff. We live in a nice house, great neighborhood, lovely dog, all the stuff. And I don't want to be here anymore. And so. I live in central Ohio where it gets snowy. And in March, the snow starts to melt and these little flowers called crocuses, they're little purple bulbs, they come popping up out of the snow. And I don't know why, but I looked out and I saw this crocus and I thought, hmm, wonder what my friend's doing. And I went and checked and sure enough, she was in, I don't know, week eight or week nine of this whatever program, Couch to 5K kind of thing. And so I pulled out a digital kitchen timer, leached up the dog. Uh, put on, I think I, I ended up putting on trail shoes because I couldn't bear to be seen in public with my Velcro tennis shoes. And I may have had pink sweatpants on. I don't remember, but you know, just, it wasn't, I didn't look like a runner at all in my mind. And took the dog down to this little hidden ravine and thought, literally, I, mean, I, stood, there, I stood there until the dog got up and peed on a bush because he was just bored. He's like, are we going to actually do anything or are we just sitting here? And, <laughs> um, and he was a great dog. But, um, but yeah, and I set the digital kitchen timer for 60 seconds and we jogged. And I think too, you know, that training plan said 60 seconds of jogging. And I always say, if it had said a minute of jogging or a minute of running, (laughs) I might not have done it, but there's something about 60 seconds. I just thought it was in seconds. Yeah. I just thought, all right that doesn't seem like so much. I I think I can do that. Now, of course it said a lot of other things because I think the whole session is like 20 minutes, but that that's what stuck in my mind. And people ask me, you know, people email me and call me and say, I've got this sister who's depressed. My mother's depressed. My kid's depressed. How can I help them? In some ways, I don't know because I just was at that place where that just struck me perfectly. So, um, so the, so that's how it started, but why did it stick? It's because it was the right thing because I had done the aerobics classes and the mini trampoline and the weightlifting and the stretchy bands and the hula hoop and the jump rope and the, and the, and the, and, the, and. I had tried <laughs> so you all, tried a and, lot
0: of activities. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And there was just something, I think at first it was because it was so solitary and it was, I could do it in the middle of the day because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't work. I could barely get out. Of, I could barely leave the house. So I could do it on my own time. I didn't tell anybody for a while, even my husband or my sister, my two closest people. And I swore the dog to secrecy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I could just go down the ravine where nobody could, there's this like area of our neighborhood that's very secluded. Down there, no one could see me just trotting back and forth, go really slow. And so I was able to make it my own kind of right away. And I probably would still be down there running in the darn ravine if, it, if I hadn't eventually told my sister, because um, one of the people that had died during that stretch I mentioned before was my niece. She was 24. She had cancer. Was she was Jamie. my sister's. Yeah, Jamie. She was my sister's only child. And so, after I got brave enough to tell people that I was trying this jogging thing, she emailed and said, "Oh, there's this 5K. I'll do the one miler. You can do the 5K." And I, said, <laughs> I noticed she volunteered
0: you for the longer distance. Oh she yeah. Was yeah, she only doing just, the one yeah, mile. No.
2: Yeah, and that's that's my sister. She's she's my older. She's my big sister, and <laughs> she volunteers me. She still volunteers me for a lot of stuff. So she just volunteered me for something today. I said, "I'm a little busy anyway." <laughs> <laughs> I do love her dearly, but, uh, but I, my responses again, I, now it seems ridiculous, but I said, oh no, 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 no. I'm a private runner. I don't run in public. I just, <laughs> because it, it had never occurred to me to do anything outside my neighborhood. I just wanted to do this little thing. And I'm so glad she did because that, that really added the stick to itiveness. Because once I went to that 5k, once I got over myself and went to it and saw the running community, how diverse it is. I mean, people of all shapes, all sizes, all races, in spandex, in cotton, you know, in the pink sweatpants, in the tight uh, black leggings, with all, you know, all the things with the strollers, without the strollers, the whole, especially cherry so, races are like that.
0: So before, before that, like, had, had you, I guess you haven't ever just seen another race go by or anything like that. You'd never like, I had, really a- no, I had, I had. I had these friends
2: that did a turkey trot on Thanksgiving day every year. I just shook my head and thought, gee, there are so many other better hobbies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why would they go in the cold in November in Ohio where it's freezing and for a pie? They give you a pumpkin yeah. pie. The yeah, I'm,
0: I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure my colleagues at work, they think of that about me every single day.
1: Yeah, I have to say that, um, you know, from a running perspective, I think... Uh, our sport contains more than its fair share of geeks. Um, I think we probably all agree with that. Um, there's plenty of sort of slightly strange people. And I think that's because we're a bit of a minority sport. Um, it's sort of the sport that's left over. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think my. I think you tried my,
0: all the other ones. <laughs> I, I think
1: my, uh, you know, I've got no coordination, so I do running or something like that um you know i'm people... terrified
2: of water so i don't swim i don't like water so i don't swim well
1: there you go mm.
0: and i'm
2: afraid of being hit by cars so i don't bike
0: <laughs> yeah now there's indoor biking on zwift which is much safer right that's yeah. true and
2: we have um, uh, what is it peltonia no not Peltonia. what is it Pel- uh, peloton peloton yes peloton there's that too so there's lots of other options i know yeah but i like I being agree. outdoors i like yeah. being outdoors <laughs>
1: So, so you've, you've basically answered what, what was going to be my next question, which was, you know, how did you transfer, what caused you to transfer from sort of a private uh, therapeutic uh, runner to a, to a public um, 5K runner, um, really sparked by, you know, life events and, and also persuasion from your family. How did, how did it feel to, to finish your first 5K?
2: It was pretty amazing. It just, it felt such, such a high. Um, it was kind of odd because there was a friend who actually wasn't, was physically unwell. As it turned out, she was having some side effects from some medications that she had to get off of. But I had been watching for her and thought she would come in pretty close and then she didn't come in, didn't come in. So there was this euphoria, then huge concern. And then we found out she was okay. But yeah, it was, I had done this thing. And I had been in a place where it had become very difficult for me to do things I said I was going to do. And so I stopped saying I was going to do things because I was having trouble just doing really basic things, laundry, I mean, just basic showering. And so to have that training plan, which I printed off and put on the end of my bookcase and then all those little check marks, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then do the actual event and see all those people. I feel like we raised some money for cancer research, not that we could ever bring Jamie back, but there were a lot of survivors there and that helped. Uh, My family showed up. That was really cool. It was really, it was really quite an amazing day.
0: And how, um, how many days a week did you train for that first 5k?
1: I think three, maybe
2: four, but I think three was the, was the plan
1: kind of standard recipe
2: yeah that's what worked in fact i've gone through it various training plans and i think three is actually what works best for me no matter what i'm training for except for the ultra i did train back-to-backs for that so i did like two days of running and then a back-to-back on the weekend so that would be four but i've done five days a week i've done all kinds of different things and there's something about the three days that gives my i think as i age um my body the rest that it needs between the runs.
1: Yeah, it's good balance, maybe. And, and did, you bec- did you become a bling monster? Because you, oh. you would have received your first medal. Uh, well, they
2: actually, you know, that race did not, that was long enough ago, they did not have medals. Oh, it was okay. also a small, very small charity race. That was the first year for it. So I think, what was my first bling? I think when I did the quarter marathon, which was the following year, I think that was actually mm-hmm. my first bling.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know that that distance existed. So the quarter marathon, where, where is that? Well, there's one in,
2: uh, well, it's in Columbus. It's uh, called Cap City, and they have a half and a quarter. So it's 6.55 miles, which would be, you know, it's a little bit over a 10k. And it's very weird. Yeah, 6.55. That extra, what is it? 0.45 is, do you think no,
1: I'm just using a quarter marathon? <laughs> do
0: you do you think that um you know the fact that you had this quarter marathon do you think that made like your journey towards your first half marathon possible because you know it seems like you very much you know had this brain that was always telling you how you can't do things and so like going from a 5k um, to a half marathon um, you know, I, I maybe you want to explain your journey towards the, the half marathon because it's quite a big jump.
2: Yes. Well, the biggest jump in my mind though, was from 5k, which is 3.1 miles to five miles, which is not, I mean, it's not even double little, almost double, but not really. And, and that so after the 5K, I started looking for, you know, I remembered the turkey trot that these friends had done. And I thought, oh huh. And it turned out it was five miles because I was thinking of oh, four miles, you know, 3.1 to 4 miles. And so I went through this whole internal drama of thinking, oh, there's no way I can get ready for five miles by I think from September, end of September to the end of November. There's just no way because it had taken me, I think the the training plan for the 5K was supposed to be nine weeks. And I think it took me 20 weeks or something like that to actually do it. Um, So that was, that was kind of a way to creep into it. And then uh, I did a number of other 5Ks. I think there might've been a four mile, you know, little, just sort of creeping up on it. But I think you're right. I think there was something, and I didn't really think of it at the time, but it was always, oh, there's no way I could do that. Oh, oh no, that's just too much. Oh no, that's the first place. You know, my mind is trying to kill Megan. That's always the first place that my mind goes. And it still does that. Even, I mean, so right now I'm training for a half marathon. What is my mind telling me? Oh, there's just, there's no way. There's just, you're just, you're not trained well enough. You can't do this. I mean, I've run, at this point now, I've run actually even more because I think I've done, I'm over 30, I think actually now, because since the last time I updated my bio, but my brain is just ridiculous and so I just think it yeah I know you're concerned let's just keep running and see what happens so yeah that uh that incremental thing and the first quarter marathon that I did that Cap city again I probably wouldn't have done that if someone else hadn't um invited me because I had a friend who was from out of town she had lived here and then she moved away and she said hey I, I see you're running why don't you I'll come back and Let's do the quarter marathon together. And I had done five miles and I thought, oh, 6.55. There's just no way. And it was also <laughs> a huge race. It was a big race. I had done these little charity races, you know, a couple hundred runners. And this has three or 4,000 runners. And there's also a half marathon. So there's the quarter and the half marathon. It was a big, uh, big race every spring in Columbus. And, if, you know, again, if my friend Leslie hadn't suggested it, then I probably wouldn't have. But yeah, we did it, and that was—I think—that was my first actual blame Was that Cap sitting.
0: So um, I kind of want to just go back to the five K training plan and how the nine week plan turned into a twenty week plan. I actually loved that you just stretched it out because, like, I think at one point you were getting injured, and for sure your brain was saying, "Oh, you can't do it. You can't do it. You're not a runner," um, and and you ended up deciding to just uh, double some of the weeks so i don't know if you want to like how'd you come up with that idea
2: that was not my idea i was in this online group um i think that was before yeah that was before i had joined any kind of group group in person mm-hmm. but i i was used to being around technology and being online because of some of the other stuff i had done so i was very used to the internet this was you know the i mean it was 2010 but it wasn't it wasn't like we had everybody was on Facebook or anything and so uh, it was a user group and I went in and told them man I'm really struggling with this and so many people said oh I think it was week five where the plan changed from um, the same three workouts and then suddenly it was three different workouts and they were increased in intensity and that just uh, just blew me. I thought, oh, well, and of course, my brain said, "Oh, you're done. This is it. All the you know." I had some doctors telling me running's going to ruin your body and this kind of thing. Uh, non-runner doctors, by the way. Mm-hmm. And they, these runner types. I, I think it was a group called. Uh, it was called Calling All Penguins after this author john bingham who used to be a columnist for runner's world oh yeah we used to see his articles
1: on the back of runner's world very often yeah
2: yeah and he's written a bunch of books marathoning for mortals courage to to start all kinds of great books about being a back of the pack you know middle pack runner and so it was a group that was sort of in i don't know his honor whatever and they were all beginning runners back of the packers and some of them were older like me and they just said oh yeah just break it down And at first I couldn't get that. And then what they meant is just do the first workout until it feels comfortable, even if that's three or four weeks and then jump up to the second workout. And so that's what I did. And anytime that would happen in the training plan where there were progressive workouts within the same week, I would just turn workout one instead of it being, you know, workout, it would become, that would become the three workouts for that week until I felt comfortable. And then I would um, hop to the next one and that's how it ended up being extended. But I, I went in there uh, defeated and knew that they had helped me before because I'd talked to them about my injuries. I'd talked to them about, I don't know, just a lot of different things about running. Uh, how old are you? you know, just my age, my size, all those kinds of things. What do you wear? <laughs> and um, they were so helpful. So They gave me that idea. And then from there, I kept modifying it myself. But once I realized, oh, that what is, why you don't have to be, I mean, this is not like a degree granting program where if you don't check all the boxes, you (laughs) fail because that's just what, that's where my head is. I mean, I have a law degree. I have a journalism degree. I have a MFA, you know, you have to fill, you have to check all the boxes to get the diploma. And it just, So, and and you have a time
0: limit, like usually you have a time limit, but in running, you don't really have a time limit.
2: No, no. And I was already 49 or 50 by then. So, what the heck? And so, yeah, that's how that happened, though. I just, it was just the support of the other people and being able to be okay. So, being convinced that running was helping me and that I really wanted to find a way, a healthy way. To continue. Because if this was truly going to break my body, I would quit. I've had a few um, reviews of the book where people are very alarmed at kind of the lengths I went to to keep running. And I possibly did not make it clear enough that I did consult with other professionals, running doctors, (laughs) um, physical therapists who Mm -hmm. run, (laughs) MRI Mm -hmm. people who run and to get um, um maybe it's biased, maybe it's unbiased, but a different opinion, yeah. a different advantage point on what happens to your body. And the biggest thing I did was I just slowed down. I mm-hmm. just, you know, slowed down and tried not to bounce, focused on form, things like that. So that I was trying to run in a way where I wasn't going to damage myself because yeah, I want to be faster but mostly i want to still be running when i'm older i mean like even a lot older than i am now
0: i saw how what lengths you went to through to to keep running but i thought that was pretty admirable because you were relatively new to it you know i think anybody that kind of um is told they can't run anymore is going to want to run i mean we've got some a few uh, a few uh, friends in our club that you know have for different reasons um maybe cut down their mileage a bit um uh, for different um injuries they are dealing with but what i liked was that you know it wasn't just that you ignored all medical advice and kept on running but you tried all kinds of things i mean you try you went to physio you did consult uh like a doctor um, maybe two, um, you did go and see what the surgeon had to say. Uh, you did, but like, then you also tried, you know, anything that anybody proposed to you, you tried it. And I think sometimes that's kind of the, the trick to finding what's right for you. Because, um, I know like, like for me with injury, that's kind of how it's been as well is, and, you know, I used to never believe in stuff like, chiropractors and osteos. And I I would like because I, you know, I work in the hospital system. So I'm very like traditional medicine. But the thing is that sometimes you just end up like it's not always one thing that's going to help everybody with a particular injury. It's sort of like you have to find your own recipe almost and it seems like you took your time and you found your recipe it didn't feel like I had anything to lose again. Mm. it was sort of
2: like the start of running. I just, I figured I would just keep trying and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, driven and tenacious about that and about everything.
1: I think my perspective, you know, just echoing Liz's comments, I think my perspective is, you know, you go to a doctor who's maybe not very into this running thing, you know, it's bad for your knees or some stupid comment like that. Um, and, and their approaches—we're <laughs> definitely their, biased. And their approaches, um, you know, if you want to be well, you shouldn't be running. And my response is, unless I'm running, I don't feel that I'm well. I, I cannot be well. This is not. This is not an equation that that actually that actually works. You need to understand that my life needs to have running in it for me to be well. Um, and, and I need to get to that point. And I think from your point of view, where you got to a point where you thought running was actually, you know, giving you your life back, um, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, you know, you, you didn't have, you, you were in that option, you know, you needed to be able to run.
2: And when I had the conversation with my psychiatrist about it, and she, she started to say, get a second opinion, and then she stopped halfway through, and she's a doctor, she's a you know, medical doctor. And then she said, just try to moderate, just see if you can moderate. And that I'd already was doing that. But to have someone in the medical profession, sort of give me permission to keep trying. And you know, I was going to see her again in two or three weeks. And I, if anything happened, I could check in with her. But she had seen me go from somebody who was having trouble existing to someone who was jogging around the neighborhood with the dog. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I mean, and, and starting to write a little bit again and having a um, showering. Mm-hmm. You know, showering is good. <laughs> I was showering maybe only after I ran, but um, um, so she had. That's my cue
0: to shower too. So. I, right. Yeah.
2: But well, I mean, well, it's, we save water by not, but anyway, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but um, uh, so I think, for her, uh, she kind of walked a fine line there because you know, she is a medical professional and I did have mm-hmm. medical professionals going, are you sure? Are you sure? And so I'm so grateful for her because she gave me permission to continue doing what I was already doing, which was trying all these different things. And I do, I'm kind of a person who will try a lot of different things if I have the energy to, and running was giving me the energy to. So like Alan said, I I can't. I mean, I know that if a day came where I felt I was permanently damaging myself, I would find some other way to bring my heart rate up to, you know, get the, whether it's endorphins or endocannabinoids, whatever it is, that the happy brain chemicals, I call them. I would find another way. But until I have that happen, I'm going to try every way possible to keep running, so that's what I did.
0: So, um, also when you started running, this was the year when um, minimalist shoes started to become popular, and um, you did, you know, I think you did try minimalist shoes, but also some non-minimalist shoes. But I, I feel like, you know, you were a beginner then, and it's actually kind of admirable that you didn't just fall into the whole, um, yeah yeah, I need to just wear um, socks to run or bare feet um, and then, you know, get yourself injured. Like, how did you navigate um, all of that? Because it was, I remember those years and I remember, you know, like stores would have so few um, traditional shoes left on the shelves. Like it was just, um, all the companies were making the minimalist running shoes.
2: Well, my neighbor across the street at the time, once I started yeah, when, I came, when I came out of the running closet, mm-hmm. so to speak, and started talking to people about it, um, I hadn't realized he was a runner because their door, they live on a corner and their door actually is um, away from our house. So he would go out his door and then go the other direction. So I didn't even know he was a runner. Was that a couple other people? I had sort of, you know, you start, it's like suddenly they're on your radar where right? I didn't notice them all before. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's people running <laughs> in my neighborhood. Oh my gosh. Um, and he ran completely barefoot. He's a from, guy from Israel. He's a veterinarian. And he had run barefoot for years, long before the minimalist trend. So I started talking to him. And I did run in water shoes for a while. And I did find some minimalist shoes that you know, worked pretty well. But uh, it was it was sort of a, I think if I had kept running in those shoes, I might have been able to the bottoms of my feet would, have, cause, because what happened is the bottoms of my feet would get so sore if I went over six miles. So I was mm-hmm. half marathon training at the time and I'd get to six miles and I'd be wearing these. I can't even remember what the make was. It doesn't matter, but, but they were more minimalist. They weren't the toe shoes. Cause I have um, a couple crooked toes. I would have tried the toe shoes, but I have these crooked toes that made them. It, it's so hard to get on and off that I, I didn't do that. So the water shoes were pretty good, but I uh, liked the shoes that laced and looked more Less ridiculous than running down the street water <laughs> shoes. Not, not that I really care about. Um, but yeah, and then um, was I was like, okay, so I probably would still be running in minimalist shoes. But I found a pair that were kind of in between. They were minimalist enough, but they tied, and they came in pretty colors, which is always
0: kind of thing. of course. Like um, I yeah. love pretty colors. Yeah. For sure. yeah.
2: So yeah. I did that, um, and then I went to a running store event where they were focused on running form. And a particular brand, particular company that had, they're not minimalist in the sense that they don't you know, bend like minimalist shoes do, but they're flat. They have very little drop and less cushion than most, other, most of the other shoes. And I was sold on those. Between their lessons on form and the way those shoes felt, they have a really wide toe box. It was long before the, um, this was like 2011 probably long before the other companies were getting into wider toe boxes and things. And, and, um, so I've been running in that.
1: That was Newton, was it?
2: Yeah, it's Newton. I wasn't sure. You know, I'd never know whether say brands or not, but, uh, cause no, I've been in Merrill. I've okay. been in like the, yeah, I've been in the Merrill. It's not that I was in the pace club and that was too minimalist. That's where I, my feet hurt. And I think they had like a bare access arc that was, um, something like that. That was pretty good. Yeah, but I Newton, ran in those like for the, a while.
0: Yeah, I yeah, like the those. Newton.
2: The Newton was just the right balance. So it's not minimalist in the sense that it has some cushion, but it's very, um, very little cushion, and it's very flat. It's still not totally flat. It's not like an ultra where it's completely flat, but it has just a very low drop. It's, and, it's
1: very interesting because with shoes um, and and a lot of other things, but with shoes in particular, we kind of always say that you know each runner is an experiment of one. Um, and you've got to work out what works for you and it's clear that you were a big student of trying to work out and, and maybe this is part of your makeup that you're you are a good student um, and and um, you were clearly in the book working out what worked what didn't work trying variations nuancing and it, it sort of brings me on to that to the fact that 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 you were an avid student of running, you became an avid student of running and you did a lot of work on your, not just your shoes, but your running gait and posture. Um, we see um, uh, chi running uh, appearing a lot referenced in your book and and a thing that I'd never heard of called um, Ego Skew or Ego Skew? Um, yeah,
2: Ego Skew. What or are these ego- and how,
1: how, do, how did they work for you?
2: Yeah, Egoscu. Actually, not e, it's it's spelled Egoscu, but it's his it's uh, the gentleman. The created, yeah, Pete Egoscu, and okay. that actually comes back from many many years before that. I've had I have scoliosis, and so I've had one of those backs that go out all the time, and one of the solutions for that, um, in addition to mindfulness based stress reduction, which is a kind of a meditative practice are these egoscue postures that are kind of like physical therapy, a little bit like yoga. You just get into the position and then sort of stay there and let gravity do most of the work. You may raise your arms back and forth, but um, it's a very simple but um, systematic process for realigning your body, your posture. And so I'd had years of doing those and with running, any imbalance becomes apparent pretty quickly. And so the egocu e sizes or the gassu postures helped me continue to be able to run if the if my posture got out of balance or if anything you know like that um, uh, came up. So that was part of my Ronie but yeah, chi running, Icu. I didn't talk about it a lot, but I actually meditated while I ran. I didn't talk about it that much in this, this book. And um, yeah, I, again, I was just, I, I tend to be a good student, yes, when it's something I'm really interested in. And my interest in this was completely self-preservation because so quickly I went from somebody who had to nap every day uh, to someone who had a little bit more energy, a little bit more energy. I mean, I'd been unable to get the book, the, that book about my dad published in part, because I didn't have the focus to really dive into it. I mean, I had done a lot of work on it, but there's this level of focus that you have to have to take it to the level it needs to go to, to get published. And I just didn't have that stamina. And I swear the stamina from running gave me the stamina I needed to write. And so I could feel all that. And that's why I just kept trying. And I was curious and the chi running too because of my interest in meditation, when I walked through in the library, and I saw on this end cap, this book, Chi Running, uh, you know, Chi is a, it's an Eastern philosophy of energy, which um, I wasn't so much into Tai Chi, but I knew, I knew where that came from. And, uh, and I hadn't seen anything tying Eastern traditions to running yet. And so when I saw that, I I thought, oh, my goodness. And so I kind of went hog wild into that. But I, that's kind of what I do. And I, again, I was just looking for solutions that would help me keep running.
1: You queued a scene, so I'm going to ask you the question. Tell us how your, you you studied and were involved in meditation a lot. Tell us how that helped you with your running.
2: Well, I very quickly. I've been meditating since 1992, and relatively quickly, I realized that I was dropping into a meditative state. That I was. It was. It was almost. I was choosing an object of meditation on longer runs because that's what I do anytime I'm any place that could possibly be boring, uh, Line in the grocery store, you know, waiting anywhere. Um, I've been to a lot of silent retreats, 10-day retreats. And I, I didn't really, it wasn't conscious. It's just something I've done for so long. And so then I started doing it on purpose. And what happens is you're already getting all the benefits of uh, physical exercise, the all kinds of physical benefits, cognitive benefits, emotional benefits. I mean, there's tons of science behind it. And so, when I added the meditation to it, it was almost like I to say rocket fuel. I mean, I didn't get that much faster, but it does help me um, relax during stressful situations. It helps me be more aware of how, like, what's going on with my body. Oh it um, I'm striking harder on the right foot than the left, and that hurts let's see if I can make a tiny shift whereas if i'm not in that state of awareness where i'm actually my head is actually where my body is, I might just keep running and not even you know I'd be often uh, thinking about something else and Something in my mind on, it's not like I'm meditating all the time, but it it was sort of a natural fit for me and then people who I ran with knew that I meditated because we end up talking about her they might look me up online or something like that. And so I explained. Somebody asked me to talk about meditation. So I talked about how I was meditating while I ran. And that was that was not it was I, I basically got silence when I have to explain it. You know, because I got the question, the whole I mean, is that even a thing? And you do that the whole right <laughs> isn't that boring and you know. And and so I tried to explain it and then was silence and then we were once again, talking about where we were going to breakfast after the run, you know, like. <laughs> but what happened? There was people. Uh, this one woman specifically came up to me, oh, maybe a few weeks later, maybe a few. I forget how long it was, and she said, "You yeah, know, I try." And I, because I, what I explained was that I tend to focus on my left foot because I have a lot of sensations. That's the foot that has. The, I have a congenital defect in my ankle, and that's the foot that used to swell, doesn't swell anymore. Uh, and so she called it my left foot meditation, because that's what I said, I just pay attention to, to the sensations in my left foot. And uh, so she said, I've tried your left foot meditation. And, you know, when I do that, I do feel more relaxed. And so that's part of that was probably the seed of what became the next book. So um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing, it's so adaptable, because you can use your body sensations, you know, your actual um, feet, like just the temperature, the air or your breath. Um, You can use your visual field. So sometimes like in the spring, especially when we've had this cold gray winter and then the green, everything starts to Mm -hmm. green up. Oh my gosh, I'll just use the color green as my object of meditation and just notice all the different shades of green, the shapes of green, all of that. Um, You could do sound, maybe bird song. That's a big one for me. In the spring, we also have lilacs, which can be very strong scent. Notice the lilacs or the absence of lilacs. So yeah, I play with that. And especially on a long run, it gives me something to do because I don't listen to music. I did that for a while. And then I had a couple of real close calls with cars where I just didn't hear them. I mean, I I had even one earbud in, just one earbud. And um, I've tried the, um, what are they called? Bone conducting. And they just don't, I Mm -hmm. still, yeah, it's still too distracting for me. I just, uh, so I meditate and that that passes the time too, or sometimes I think about stuff too. That's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. No shame in any of it, but that's how I do it.
1: Sounds very cool. I mean, we've had a few people on our uh, podcast who are, let's say advanced runners, and they talk about flow state where they use running to almost drive themselves into a meditative type state where everything's easy and they're, Sort of conscious, but a little bit detached, and it sounds like you're finding that space by coming at it from the other direction by sort of meditating rather than running
2: yeah, that's just what I started with, but I very quickly realized that the mind state i was I was accidentally falling into the same natural mind state that you can get from meditation, and that I want to talk really quick about that because if you listen to a high performance runner, Dina Castor, Des Linden, i um, not sure if I've heard Meb talk about it, but often, especially if they haven't met the mark, they had, you know, if they haven't hit the mark they've checked. Tr- they will talk about losing their focus or not being present or dropping their concentration. You know, I lost my focus. And so, the, one of the skills that it takes to perform at a high level is the ability to maintain the focus. It's almost like to remember, oh yeah, I have to keep going at this rate and to not zone out. And, you know, Mm. so you don't slow down. And also the strategy that you have, especially when you're, you're trying to run tangents, things like that, that's all a very sharp, high level of focus, very advanced that advanced meditators get with experience. And then the relaxation that it happens with flow, but even in an aware state when, um, cause flow, has, there's a lot of overlap between flow and like mindfulness meditation. You can kind of flow in and out of them using the same word, but, but <laughs> that, that relaxed state in, in meditation, we call it equanimity where you're very conscious, totally aware of what's going on but completely relaxed. And I hear that in a lot of the high performance runners where they talk about that, where they just go into this place where, I mean, the exertion is incredible, but they're not using any more energy than they absolutely need. So they're completely relaxed using only the amount of energy. So there's no, there's no extra effort and they can have their highest performance. That's I, I, um, have done a lot of reading about performance and, uh, you know, athletes at very high levels in many, many sports. And there's almost always a mention of meditative practice practice or focus awareness or relaxation practice concentration, because it is a skill that high level athletes, athletes develop.
0: It's interesting because, um, You know, I like we've also read about flow state um, and, you know, we've probably all kind of experienced it. But in my experience, I almost felt like if someone told me to describe it, I would have described it as um, almost like an absence of thoughts. But it's true. It makes more sense that you're just really focused, but you're only focused on the essential things that you need to focus on. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes like when you're running your, your mind jumps around all kinds of things like, like, oh, I have to do laundry after I finish this run. Or like, I have to, you know, I don't know, I have to call this person when I'm done. Or, um, so, you know, you can bounce around in your thoughts. I never actually heard it, um, described that way that it's actually a hyper-focus, but it makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. It's a hyper-focus without effort. So it's a brain state. I don't know the brain waves. I don't know the science behind it. There is tons of science behind it, but there it's a natural state that most people have experienced. And so the book Flow by that title or um, books about meditation, they help you do those things on purpose. And with, with Flow, there can be some sense of unconsciousness of time passing almost instantaneously. Whereas with meditation, you're... Completely aware and time might be speeding up or slowing down, and you don't it you don't care because you're so engrossed in whatever you have focused on so it's a it's not about you know oh I blinked and this time just passed that's more of a it's not with float it's not you're not zoning out but uh but it's a little it's just a little tiny difference with meditation and they're both great it doesn't you know i I recommend both of them highly. <laughs>
1: So is this going to be in your latest book or, or do we have to wait for yes. book number four?
2: No, no, that I talked very <laughs> briefly about flow. I'm not, I was very careful not to talk about anything that I hadn't done a lot of research on or that I didn't have a lot of experience with. Hmm. And so I just mentioned flow and that there is some overlap and I, um, you know, suggest people do more research on that. Uh, it's very possible that I am going in and out of a flow state when I'm meditating, but again, all I could do, my certific- I have certification in mindfulness training to, you know, to teach mindfulness and, and 30 years of experience. And so I went into my experience and how um, gave examples of how that works for me. And then also examples of how other people use meditation in other sports. So I have a man who does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've got a guy who talks about laser tag, um, disc golf, sailing a boat. Uh, calisthenics, I mean, all kinds of different, just some very brief examples to show that people use these techniques in a lot of different sports just during their practice. It's sort of like um, we hear so much about sitting meditation, about meditation, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting still. And the principles in movement meditation are identical except for the posture. So the posture is your movement whatever that is, whatever the technique is for your movement, that's the posture. And then the rest of the principles, the focus, the concentration, the equanimity, the gentle, you know, you talked about your mind wandering. So let's say you have chosen for the first mile or the first half mile, whatever, to try this movement meditation thing. And your mind wanders, you start thinking about where you're going to breakfast, who, who what the football team's doing, what your kids are doing, what you're doing, all that. And so one of the keys is learning to remember, oh, I was meditating. That's right, I was meditating. And then very gently bringing your mind back to whatever you chose to place your mind on. Just very gently, because we can be very critical of ourselves and that gentleness, that remembering and the gentleness are very, very important.
1: And should that thing be an internal or an external focal point or does it matter?
2: It doesn't matter. the The choices are kind of limitless, but the categories there are six categories: your five physical senses and your thoughts. So thoughts can be a little sticky. It's very easy to start thinking, and instead of noticing that you're thinking, you start thinking about your thinking, and the next thing you know, you're doing rocket science and mm. calculus and da, da da da, and you've gone ten miles, and you know, you know, not even this. So. We usually suggest that people start with something um, physical, whether at mo- most with sitting practice, they usually use the breath because everyone breathes. And so you can't say, well, I don't breathe, so I can't do your breath <laughs> because everybody <laughs> breathes. Um, but, um, but it could be with, with, with any kind of movement form. Sometimes it's easier to do a physical sensation because the breath is so variable, especially if you're exerting yourself. So Mm -hmm. with a a sport where you have a racket or a paddle or a bat, I often suggest just notice how that um, equipment feels in your hand. Just periodically during your practice, notice the feel of the bat in your hand, the paddle, the racket in your hand, something there and keep it very simple. And then, you know, choose, okay, well, every time I'm up to bat for one second, I'm just going to notice the feel of that. And then you just go back to what you're regulating doing to just keep it real simple so that you're not um, you know, trying to you, you want your sport to continue to be enjoyable. <laughs> I don't I don't want to ruin everybody's exercise. <laughs> but but the idea is to sort of incorporate it. And then what happens is you find as you develop that skill, it bleeds over into the rest of your day where you're having these moments where you're driving and, oh, I feel my hands on the steering wheel or, oh, I see the color green as I'm driving. And then safety first, too. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be standing there. and Then you get hit in the face with a baseball because you're not <laughs> paying attention. I don't want that at all.
0: So um, actually, this kind of maybe brings us back to um, sort of the the ways that you got over all your negative thoughts and maybe still do today because, it, you know, I think, um, it, you know, being self-critical is something that probably most of us do sometimes in your case it used to be very extreme I don't know if it's still as extreme as it used to be but you it's not that when you started running you had no negative thoughts it but you developed tricks to get over them um, and it almost seems like uh, you know you were doing a bit of what you just explained where you would um you would uh, notice the negative thought and then try and focus on something different Um, or or put it aside or I don't know if you have any for anybody else that kind of goes through the same pattern of negative thinking um, during their runs like their mind telling them they can't do a long run or something like that any tricks that sort of helped you more than others did
2: yeah I I think this got cut, but there was, because uh, I had to reduce the book by like 20,000 words. So there's a lot of stuff well. that didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, yeah. Anyway, that's a long story, but yeah, the book was really, really long and then it was less long, but it was still too long. What I do is first, I have to be aware that I'm having the negative thoughts because usually for me, it's just this icky feeling in my body. I just have this like heavy, awful, icky feeling in my body. And And so it takes me a little while to realize, oh, your mind is yelling at you, you know, it's berating you. And so what I do is I often will thank it and say, okay, this part of me that is yelling at me is scared. It thinks I'm about to do something dangerous. Even if it's something I've done many, many times, you know, cue the half marathon I'm training for that. My mind is saying, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Um, And thank you very much. Uh, But not sarcastically, because I can be (laughs) sarcastic. But just recognize that that part of me is a evolutionary process that is trying to protect me. And then where the meditation comes in is noticing where I feel that in my body and trying to relax and let those body sensations rise and fall. And notice that if I don't fight them, both the thoughts and the body sensations will go away. And sometimes I have to be still to do that. Sometimes I can do it while I'm running. Sometimes I can do it, you know, sometimes just going out for a run and sort of proving to my mind that I can do it is mm-hmm. the task. But let's say I'm working on something and I can't, you know, today is a rest day and I have a commitment. I can't just go for a run. The the thoughts are there. That's when I'll... I'll just use the meditative practices of just being aware of the thoughts, noticing that they rise and fall. If I don't get on the train and ride it to the station, they will just, you know, the train will go on without me and I can just be here in myself. And uh, the same thing in my body, I get, I tend to get the sensations in my belly. And so noticing um, if they're tight, if they're hot, if they're cool, if they're tingly, if they, you know, any of those, what, what, does, what does this negativeness feel like? And then just letting it be because there's this thing that you notice when you meditate called impermanence, that things change, everything changes. And if I don't push or pull on it, it changes much more quickly and often it will just go away on its own. But again, that's kind of a high level of thing to do. Um, it's easier to start with, you know, maybe your nose itching or boredom in the grocery line, then it is something as strong as a negative thinking that, especially if you've had it your entire life. So we practice with uh, things that aren't, that have minimal consequences, like standing in the grocery line or your nose itching, something like that, that has very little, you know, low consequences. If you succeed, low consequences, if you can't do that. And, uh, and then it, bleeds over into other parts. But that's how I do it. I thank it first and then I kind of scan my body, figure out where am I feeling this? What does it feel like? Can I just let it not go? Because that implies pushing it away, but let it be. Let it just be whatever it's going to be and realize that it will not kill me. It will not, even the negative thinking, it can shout all at once. If I can drop my resistance to it, it will eventually just get tired and change the subject.
1: I'm not sure that that's going to get me to my three-hour marathon. No, when, when the going gets tough, I think I'll be more physical.
2: Yeah, no, no that's, no. I mean. You'll, you'll but, have
0: to relax and, um, you know, get your legs moving.
2: Yeah, well, I think, Alan, though, I think the focus is what will get you. I mean, you may have the negative thoughts. And so what you'll do is you'll say, oh, negative thought, this isn't your time. Um, let's have a chat after the race is over, okay? Thank you, and I'm going to now go back to my focus, whatever that is. One of the things we do is yeah. we try,
1: we try to convert everybody's uh, um, book discussion into a workshop to help us get get to our race goal, if we can.
2: <laughs> as you should, <laughs> as you should. Yeah. So just remember to also those negative thoughts are extra energy you don't need to be expending, and so you just say, "Hey, you know." I don't have uh, no time right now. I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Promise. I'll get back to you. I think you're going to do it. I think you guys are going to do it.
1: One of the things that has helped helped you a lot, uh, uh, and, and it's clear through the book, was um, the social aspect. So the community aspect uh, of running. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about that, the sort of collective social aspect um, as a factor in helping you develop your running.
2: It was a surprise. I expected that from the online community because there you can kind of stick your toe in. Like I said, I'm off the scale introvert. So Mm. uh, you can sort of stick your toe in, you can expose as much as you want or not. But when I decided to try to run a half marathon to train for one, I knew I needed more help. I needed water on the trail. I needed a coach. I needed other people doing it so that I would do it, you know, things like that. More structure, structure and support. And it turned out to be great. I mean, there's, you know, I I, I will say that my running friends know that there are days and right now, because I've got a lot going on, those days are more frequent than not, where I'll start with the group. And then after a quarter of a mile, I'll fall back or I'll try to go ahead or I'll, um, there's this little loop around a, a playground. And so I'll just turn off and take the loop around the playground, let them go on and then just tuck back in because I'm still with people because as a woman, I need to be cons- you know, aware of my surroundings and I don't like to run alone, except my, my neighborhood's very safe. But even there, you never know. And uh, so I'm, I'm with the group, but I'm also kind of solo. But that support of having a coach to say things like, you know, your training runs during the week. Um, can be a little faster, but that long run on the weekend, you want to make it slow enough that you can have a conversation. Would never have occurred to me. No, I would run everything as hard as I could. I'm mm-hmm. pacing. What you know? And so that I talked about earlier about slowing down. And once I realized that, I. W- I mean, it's so silly, but I'm not going to win these races. <laughs> I might place my age group once in a while, which is fantastic. But but I'm probably not going to win. And right now, I don't have a huge goal. I used to have more goals, but right now I have other, other things that are, are um, goals. So that helped me uh, realize that there was some expertise behind that, some people who knew what they were doing and watching other people. Um, I had the most incredible experience with this woman who had trained with us all season. I had known a few people were training for full marathons, but I was in the group training for a half. And we went to the dinner party after the race. And her medal was a different color. And I sat there and I I said, I, I, you know, I, I kind of joke with her now, like I didn't mean to insult <laughs> you, but I, you ran the full? It you was know, just it's somebody I know. It was just sort of this. And so that kind of thing too. Um, the joke is that uh, this is a joke in a lot of places, but if you hang around in a barbershop, eventually you're going to get a haircut. And so if you hang around with runners who do these incredibly, ridiculous distances eventually you might try. And that's what has mm-hmm. happened I and mean, that's how I ended up in ultra running. I got I'm with these crazy people who run ultras now. Yeah. And it's that's great. how
0: I ended up doing trail runs in, in June is because Alan and uh we have another running buddy uh Guillaume and uh and and my boyfriend Andre, they love trail running and I I, I'm going to admit, I, I don't like trail running. Um, there's too many obstacles. Like I just like the flat, predictable road. Uh, but every year they sign up for this uh, this trail run called the Quebec Mega Trail. And they have all these different distances, but like they'll sign up usually for the 50K. Um, and so I end up signing up for the 50K. And usually I'm kind of grumbling when it's time to train for it. Cause I'm like, oh, I can't believe I fell into this trap. And I... <laughs> <laughs> i signed up for this race
1: <laughs> and what happened this year
0: um i finished yeah. you kicked all yeah.
1: up you kicked all our butts
0: <laughs> some Yay. some some of the other people didn't finish and some of them finished in not very good shape
2: <laughs> good work good work i yeah. resemble that remark
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so it's it's good it's i i think like it, Yeah, you're, it's great that you had that experience and right off the bat, you know, you join a running group and that's the first thing you realize is like, you just hang out with these runners and you end up just doing all the same stuff that they do.
2: That's how I ended up in the running group to begin with, is I started talking to people about my running and these people that I had known for years, but never knew they ran were in this running group. And so oh, I wow. thought, oh my gosh, these are people I know, and so I ended up joining. And, and you know, it's a, it's a huge group. So they were, and they were all different paces than I was. So I wasn't end up running with them. But it was just the weirdest thing. How I had no radar for running at all, um, no radar really for exercise at all. And then pretty quickly after I started running, I'm looking out my window. Oh my gosh, that neighbor is running. I never knew it. We'd lived here. <laughs> You know, 15 years, I've never known anybody, things like that. It's just your radar changes for what mm-hmm. you can see.
1: After a while, it becomes the reverse. Somebody jogs past your window and you go, who's that? I don't recognize that person. <laughs> They're not one of the, the regular hero. joggers. Who says somebody new <laughs> must have moved into, or somebody's deviated from their normal route. And they- <laughs> That too,
2: yes. Oh, during the pandemic, we had that. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. everybody was out. It's like, oh my gosh, did, ever, did the entire yeah. world take up running?
1: Um, two characters from a social point of view, two characters who are key uh, 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 um, people who make regular appearances in your book. Um, who I'd like to give you just a couple of seconds to talk about each is your husband Ed, who's kind of the solid bedrock all the way through, it seems. Um, still. And still. your late, and your late dog, the dog who features in the book, who's no longer with us, Morgan.
2: Yes. Tell us about those Mr. people. Dog. So, Ed, we had been married one year and one week when I called him from a mental health uh, office and said, They're not letting me out of here. Either they're going to call an ambulance and take me to a locked psychiatric ward, or you need to come and get me and take me there. I'm not coming home. And a lot of guys, I think, would have said, Hmm didn't sign up for this, but not mm-hmm. Ed. He came and got me and uh, that was many, many years ago. Uh, he's been through so much with me and I've been through a lot with him too, but he just is, he's steady Eddie. He just kind of is, <laughs> that's his personality. He, he can be very pushy. He's also a real doer kind of person. And so I think sometimes my depression was confusing to him and sometimes frustrating because he's such a high energy doing kind of person, but he has patience and tolerance and, um, as my biggest fan. Oh my gosh. He finally, after a couple of years, he finally stopped coming to every single race. Cause he would go to every race, every race. He would figure out a place to meet me on the course. And he'd just really, he'd just show up and take a picture of me, you know, just at mile three or whatever.
0: You do talk about that in the book. He's, he's always there.
2: Yeah, he really is. He really, and he still is. He still is. We have an event tomorrow and he has another commitment in the morning, but he's going to meet me at noon. It's a, it's a, a running related book related uh, event. And, you know, he's, he's, he'll be there with me doing the, doing the uh, book sales thing. And uh, he's not a runner, but he's, he just knows how he saw firsthand, how much it helped. I mean, he just knows how much it helped. So he's Oh, and he's just I, I I call him he has his own hat well the dog hit does too, but um he has his own hashtag he's the one hundred percent good husband, and the reason he's the one hundred percent good husband i mean he is, but um our current dog, scarlet, is so bad that she is the ninety nine percent good dog, so he couldn't be you know anything less than 99%, yeah. he's the only, but he's he just is he's a gentleman he's smart he's funny he's just a great guy and I mean, like any marriage, we have our ups and downs. We disagree about stuff. We argue about stuff. But at the end of the day, when I need somebody there for me, he is there. He is, he shows up. And uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know what would have become of me sometimes if he hadn't been there. I always joke that if he didn't cook, we wouldn't eat because I have such attention deficit uh, attentional difficulties that I and I, I mean, I'm not joking. I am not safe in the kitchen because I will walk out of the kitchen with food uh, boiling on the stove or, food, you know, uh, hmm. burners on. I'm, I'm good with a, a freezer and a microwave. <laughs> I can handle that. But um, <laughs> although I did throw in a microwave once, it was actually a convection <laughs> oven. But, it, but I put something that the convection oven has this metal um, metal rack. And so you're only supposed to use it when you're doing convection. And I put popcorn in and I thought, oh, I'll put the metal rack in and then I, yeah. So we, I killed the microwave, yeah. So I can, but, um, but and it's, I mean, it was funny at the time. He even left, but um, after we got over, you know. After you after got a put new out one. The fire. <laughs> After we on the fire, um, we have a great sense of humor. He has a great sense of humor. It. That is a good thing. We really need it. So yeah, but these so things that's... are
0: always funnier after. You well, know, yeah, after yeah, everything is cleaned time. up and you got a new microwave, like yes. and then it's really funny. You get a great
1: story yeah. out of it for it the rest of your life.
0: Story. Yeah, but
2: uh, but you know, he's um, he had uh, in in 2020 the roles got reversed because I was on book tour and he had a heart attack in a hotel in Los Angeles we were in, we were on uh, traveling and we didn't know he had a heart check. It was a silent heart check, but uh, we flew home. God, He could have died on the plane. It was just, I mean, now it, again, that's something that I think about. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe, but we didn't know he'd gone to a doctor. He'd been sick, different things. So the roles got reversed and I had to take care of him. He was on a feeding tube. He had open heart surgery. Um, he's had knee surgery. Wow. He's said some different things as we age, this happens. And so the roles got reversed and I'm so grateful that I am mentally well enough and have the energy to help. Otherwise we would have had, I mean, yeah. if I had, if it had been in 2005, we would have had to gotten help. I mean, we would have had to hire somebody to help because yeah. uh, there, I was just in such a bad place. There's no way I could have. Um, so I'm grateful that I'm able to help now uh, when he needs me. But yeah, he's he's just a great guy. And, and he's, he's so funny because some people don't see the sides of him that i do and so they may not think oh does he have, but he does have a great sense of him but it's very dry and it's very selective so he's not um he's not a joker most of the time but every once in a while he'll just come up with these zingers and everybody's like oh my god is that ed Because you know <laughs> his can be very serious too he, he's a cpa straining is a cpa okay and then uh he's also an, an arbitrator for financial institutions
1: and we've just given him uh, the best um, public review uh, a person could possibly have. So <laughs> he's, he's
2: mostly retired now, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you.
1: And uh, I guess Morgan was your running buddy when you couldn't bear to have running buddies.
2: Morgan was my buddy. Yeah, when it just I just couldn't bear anything. Uh, Ed and Morgan were were my world, and for many years. And then I took Morgan with me, not because I. I mean, I took him with me as a decoy, because I thought I'll just walk down to the ravine and the neighbors who weren't home at the time. By the way, it was the <laughs> middle of the day and you know, like a weekday, nobody was home. Um, but I thought, oh, they'll just think I'm walking the dog. And I'll just mm-hmm. take him down there, <laughs> and um, and so we went down to the ravine. And, and but what happened was he really loved it too. He just loved it so much. I mean, he got the same benefit I did. And what was also cool, which I didn't realize the importance of it until we ended up getting a puppy. He was about, I think Morgan was about four, maybe five when I started running. So I think he was five, but he and I learned to run together. And that that's the thing. People start running with their dogs and they run too far, too fast. And Mm -hmm. poor dog isn't used to it. I mean, they can, a dog can run no problem, Mm-hmm. but they're used to running and then stopping and sniffing and running and stopping. They're not used to running steady with you for a long distance. And so he and I learned to run together. And so that's what the, when, when we got the puppy after Morgan um, died, I had to do kind of an interval training plan with her and now she runs just fine. But uh, um, cause the same thing where uh, she was just little and we had to wait till her growth plates closed and all that too. So, but yeah, but Morgan His personality was such that he was just the perfect companion. He was very much like Ed in that he was calm and steady. We rescued him from the pound, but I swear somebody was, I mean, you know, we did all the things to try to find his owners and Mm -hmm. I swear somebody ugly cried over losing that dog because Mm -hmm. he was trained. He was housebroken. He was maybe six months old when we got him and he was just the perfect dog. I think he ate. One pillow and two <laughs> moccasins, both the left moccasins, because they were Ed's moccasin. He ate one moccasin and then Ed replaced him and then he ate the left moccasin again. And then Ed finally realized uh. he had to put his moccasins up high. Um, but unlike Scarlett, our new dog, who has eaten everything from newspapers to glasses to furniture to, I mean, anything, food off the counter. I mean, she just, she's incorrigible. We tried training her and uh, she just, I mean, she's better. She's now. Older. So she was calming down, but it was such a shock getting a puppy first off when we yeah. had this dog who eventually aged. But Morgan just had this calm demeanor. He was just this wise dog from a very young age. And so he was the perfect companion. He was like my coach. And he had these expressions that very first day when I'm standing down in the ravine with the timer and he gets up to go pee on a bush. And then he comes back over and he looks up at Link Me. And I swear I could hear him say, I, I, what are we doing, mom? Are we going to go? I mean, what is this? What is going on? Can we just go already? You know, he was, but he was just like that. He just was very, and then anytime, oh my gosh, if I would accidentally pick up um, before I got a watch, the timer, or then eventually when I got a watch, if I pick up the watch, even if I didn't turn it on, it was like he could hear that I picked up the watch. And oh, oh wow. he clear across the house, he'd come running. Are we going to go? Are we going to go? You know, just love it. So
0: and I remember your first race, you couldn't take him and he was very disappointed.
2: Oh, he was he was mad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got the look. And then I came home. I came home, I got
2: ignored. He gave me the cultural. Oh no. Poor guy. <laughs> and it was it was sad because there were actually dogs there. It was a very small charity race, but I was just so nervous about it being my first race. And I just didn't know. So eventually I ended up taking him to that race pretty often because it was a very dog friendly race. You know, you have to suss mm-hmm. that out, figure out, is the race allow dogs first off, And are, is it a good race for dogs? And is your dog the right dog? Isn't going to trip people? And you know, I never took him. Mm-hmm. I never took him running with the group because our group is so big. And the trail that we're usually on is pretty narrow and there's bikes. And so I, uh, I just, I didn't feel it was safe for him or uh, me or the mm-hmm. others or bicyclists, anything. So, so he, he didn't do a lot of the long
0: runs, which is probably okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I know trail runners that take their dogs and it's great. And he, if I had been a trail runner, uh, he would have loved that too. I, because I have the congenital ankle defect, I have less mobility. And so I think I would love trail running if the trails were paved yeah. <laughs> or if they were flat. <laughs> Cuz I love And yes. We have yeah. our the main trail that we run on, the Olentangy Trail is in the woods and it is paved. So that's kind of the the best of both worlds. But mm-hmm. yeah, the the being, you know, in the woods is just yeah. wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a special name for those trails that are paved and flat. They're called roads.
2: <laughs> well, this is a <laughs> bike path. <laughs> and it's not a mountain bike path. It's actually the Olentangy Bike Trail. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah we,
0: we go, um, we go up north to um, Prevost, which is it's about, I guess, 45 minutes from Montreal. And um, there's an old train track that got converted to a bike path, but a lot of it isn't paved. It's just gravel. And yeah, so whenever sure. we go there, I, I'm like, oh, I would love trail running if everything was gravel like this. And Alan is like, "Oh, you mean like basically like road without pavement?" <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the that's the, exactly
2: the ultra that I've done. It is flat. It's a five mile loop. It's gravel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a one little paved section. That sounds um, fantastic. Yeah, it's fabulous. It is, and it's a trail run. But it's yeah. <laughs>
1: Looks it's like you found woods. a new running buddy, Nisa. <laughs>
2: yeah, Liz, come down, and Jude, Eagle up. Look up, look it up. Eagle up. It's not that far from. Well, actually, it is kind of far. <laughs>
1: I'm a bit conscious of the time. We need to give our summary. So maybe a good a good question to to put at this point is: if you have any hopes for your book, what do you hope people get out of your book?
2: The biggest thing is to just stay in there, to stay on the planet because your mood will change, your circumstances will change. Don't give up before a change comes. If you're having trouble running, stay in there, find another solution. If you find that running doesn't work for you, try something else, just staying in there. Um, So much of it is just not giving up um, and not,
0: just not giving up. That's really it. And um, where would the best place be for people to get a copy of your book? And um, what if they, uh, I don't know if you provide any autographed copies? The best
2: place to find my book is wherever you like to buy books because it's available. uh, My editor always says to say, wherever fine books are sold, (laughs) which I kind of love that. But um, seriously, if you like an independent bookstore, they can order it. If you like online, all the online outlets have it. If you want me to sign it and send it to you, I can do that. My website is nitasweeney.com and there's contact information there. I have an email newsletter, which I would love for you to sign up for that. There are a few little freebies on the website that you can either sign up to get those and you end up on the newsletter or you can just sign up straight away. But, uh, but yeah, that's all an option. I would love to hear from people. I'm on a lot of social media channels. But it, you don't have, it's really hard with the social media algorithms to actually have interactions with people. It's so random. So it's so much better mm-hmm. if we have the email relationship because that way they can re- you know, reply to my email with questions or we can have a conversation. It's just the email just works out so much better.
0: And uh, you talked about social media. Where can people follow you?
2: I am everywhere. I think I'm trying to think if I'm, I am on TikTok. I'm trying to think if there's, you know, I'm like not on Reddit or anything like that, but but I have a Facebook page. It's Nita Sweeney author. I'm Nita Sweeney on Instagram. I'm Nita Sweeney on Twitter, where I ask every morning what you had for breakfast. And you can tell me, and know, <laughs> think of something witty to say and retweet it with the hashtag breakfast with Nita. And I'm on I think I said Instagram, I just started posting some videos on TikTok. I don't follow a lot of people on TikTok because I don't want to get sucked into that attention grabber,
1: mm. but
2: people are, are looking at it. And so it's a good place to, I post these real short videos about like what my object of meditation is today or some meditation myths and exercises meditation. That's uh, exercises meditation and exercising mindfulness are the two hashtags I'm kind of using mostly right now.
1: We'll have to try and remember that and put that in into our references when the podcast comes out. Perhaps we could give our little summaries. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and we could keep talking for a long time. Uh, but uh, we try to we try to keep everybody to a two hour slot if we can. And I would well, predict this has been fabulous. I would predict so we're going you. to exceed that.
2: <laughs> well, this I really enjoyed this, so thank due, you so due, much.
1: Due to the time that I have to spend looking for a cable in the middle. <laughs> That no one will know because I'll edit all this out. <laughs> let, let,
0: okay, so do I go first? No,
1: let me let me go first this time.
0: Okay.
1: I'm, I'm always making you go first.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's um, why you know I was you know falling into the routine.
1: So just just a summary on um, depression hits moving target by Nita Sweeney. This book is a heroic story. Our hero Nita fights the dragon and despite many setbacks, wins the day. Only in this story, the dragon is inside Nita's head, as she says in the first sentence of the book. And as I said at the start, my mind is trying to kill me again. Running becomes a tool that she uses to face and overcome many of the problems in her depressive illness. You know, although most of us maybe don't have the level of challenges that Nita faced, I think we all have our own inner voices um, that we all have to face, just nowhere near as big as Nita's. Um, to that extent, I think I found I could identify strongly with the story. You know, you have a struggle, I have a struggle. They're not the same struggle, but they're both struggles. Also, I noticed there's an excellent resource appendix at the end of the book um, with great advice and references. Um, some of this is Nita's particular preferences, uh, things that she likes uh, for running and uh, recommendations. And, and some is just great advice things about books to read, um, gear to, to get, uh, training tips, uh, among others. So, all in all, uh, a wonderful book and, and a real pleasure and really a privilege to talk to you today.
0: I'll just start with to anyone dealing with depression or any other mental health problem. This book will definitely make you feel less alone. Um, if um, if you know someone who has always wanted to run but thought it was impossible, then this is the book you need to get them for Christmas. Uh, Nita hated gym class. And although she tried running in the past, she considered herself not athletic. Uh, she was the last person she would have thought to be a runner, and yet today she's a runner, and she's been a runner now for over a decade. So um, it's possible for everybody, and uh, that's that's always, I think, what as the running community, like we we love we love when people join us, and we love when they start to love running. Um, I love the depth of sharing in this book. Nita's very honest about the daily hardships and even uh, that she didn't necessarily share them with her running buddies, or at least not at the beginning. She also shares that she's not always trusting of traditional medicine and absolutely terrified of needles, but if it's necessary, then she gets things done. For example, when she needed a tetanus shot after stepping on a nail. The thing that stood out most for me is Nita's experience integrating in the running community. She categorized herself as an extreme introvert, but ended up blossoming into an occasional extrovert because everyone she interacted with online, the Penguins group and in her other, in her in-person group, MIT, made her feel welcome and valued as a member of the community. This is a testament to the running community and how people of different ages and backgrounds are able to connect by running together. So I loved, I loved that um, because that was always my experience as well when I was a teen and I got into running. And I, I feel like it's, um, it seems to be other people's experiences, even in different stages of life. So um, great book for that.
1: So thanks for your book. Uh, and thanks for spending time with us today, Anita.
0: Thank you
2: so much. Thank you for reading and um, just helping me relive it all. It just I, my heart is so full. Thank you so much.
1: That's excellent. We hope we hope everybody who listens to the podcast feels the same. Should you I want do, me the, wrap to do up? the outro? No. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. you
0: can. Okay, go I'll ahead. i
1: making you do them for the last.
0: I know that's uh, why I'm. You know, I'm kind of in the. I figured I'd just do it.
1: <laughs> so thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. A big thanks to Anita for sending us autographed copies of her book and for spending time with us today. If you'd like to leave us feedback about how we can improve our podcast or want to suggest a book that you think we should review in a future episode, please leave us a comment on our social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please also follow us us on social media to find out about new episodes when they are released, or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. If you've been listening for a while and you're wondering how you can help us out, there are a couple of ways. If you're enjoying the podcast, spread the word, tell your friends, or share a link to your favorite episode with your favorite running partner. Or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if this is how you listen to the podcast. You can also rate us on Spotify, uh, anywhere from zero to five stars, but um, we would prefer that it was five stars. Also, to remind you, we're now on Buy Me A Coffee, where you can go to the site Buy Me A Coffee, uh, look for Running Book Reviews, and buy us a coffee. That's all from Running Book Reviews for today. Bye.
0: Bye.